This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 14 If meeting Jane Stannard for the first time was intoxicating, Eddie's second meeting with her was simply narcotic. He couldn't go home like this. A pulsating grip seized his groin unlike any he had ever known, even in his wildest dreams of Juliet. As he neared home, he took a detour past Tobacco Alley and led himself into one of the many empty warehouses stacked along the lane. He gripped himself as he collapsed into a pile of canvas bags and stared up at the rafters, allowing himself to float into a trance. Her smell, that laugh, those lips, the details of her beauty washed over him. Celestial beams of golden sunlight streamed through the slats above the rafters as Eddie remained wrapped in his erotic bliss. He watched them bow in time before he cleaned himself up and left for home. Dabney would be back from the plantation by now with word from Yadoja. Would she see him to talk about Conjure? He could only pray for as much. Eddie entered the backyard, where Juliet stood behind a sheet, her nubile figure silhouetted in the late afternoon sun. He drank in her perfect silhouette, caught in the glow, and quelled a returning ache below the belt. Evening, Juliet. How are you? It was more an icebreaker than it was a question. Immune to his charms, Juliet returned the sarcastic tone. Evening, Eddie. I'm very well. Why, thank you very much. Touché, he thought. Eddie kicked the ground. So, uh, hear anything from Dabney? As a matter of fact, Dabney stopped by, yes. <gasps> really? Eddie blurted out, unable to contain his faux composure. Will Yodoja see me? Juliet smiled with a nod. Indeed, but we can't talk here. Not now. You come down the kitchen long after tis quiet. Say eleven. Then she fell back behind the sheet and carried on with her laundry. After dinner, another depressing affair, Eddie retired to his bedroom to read, but could not seem to concentrate. The grandfather clock struck nine, then ten. Torture. But with eleven strokes, Eddie leapt off the bed and tiptoed down the hall. The warm hearth light rose up the stairwell from below. He took one last glance back down the hallway to confirm no one was watching before descending. There at the hearth, Eddie and Juliet spoke of their childhood fun at the plantation. Then the conversation turned to the plan for the next evening. Auntie Yu says she'll see you, but before you go, please know she's putting her neck on the line for you, Eddie. So no one must know you are there. You be sure to go at night. Don't tell a soul, you hear? Now that I've laid the plan, all you need to do is come up with a good excuse to be out for the evening. Can you do that? Of course, Eddie said. Now listen, tis important. Whatever potions and spells Auntie you shares with you, you gotta keep them secret, you hear? White folks find out you've been out there, I pray for your hide. A mambo or a conjurer finds out, I pray for your soul. You may not be a believer in magic, but onto you is. Do we have an accord? Of course, I promise. Thank you, Juliet. I'll protect and respect it all. That's what the curse of the Scottish play is all about. Divulging magic secrets. No way I'm going to do that. It would be wonderful to have my work on the same shelf as Shakespeare one day, but not because we're both cursed. Eddie vowed from that day forward that whenever he wrote of the supernatural, he would only do so with descriptions of feelings, moods, and euphemisms. Only he would know the true source of his material, and it would go with him to the grave. When do I go? he asked. 
Tomorrow, you just be ready. The next night over dinner, Eddie waited for the right time to present his well-crafted excuse to leave home the following night. Eddie, Miss Nancy Valentine said, the Richmond Inquirer had an interesting article about that lady author you like so much, the one who writes the, uh, the gothic romances. He answered, Mary Shelley? No, dear, the other one? Charlotte Turner Smith? <laughs> no, the one who just died. Anne Ratcliffe? Ah, yes, that's the one. Apparently, she had several works in progress before she passed. Her husband is publishing them posthumously. I thought you'd like to know. Yes, definitely. Thank you, Aunt Nancy. The conversation lulled under the clank of china and cutlery. And how was your day, son? John Allen asked. Eddie summoned his thespian roots and dove right in. Showtime, Eddie thought. Here we go. All is well in school, Pa. I'm doing very well. I've even been asked to tutor a boy who's having some difficulty. It's a paid job, Pa. I thought you'd appreciate my entrepreneurial spirit. Then, as though he hadn't practiced it a hundred times, he added, Oh, also, I forgot to mention it before. We'll be studying astronomy in the field tomorrow night, just outside the city where it gets dark. It's for class, so I really should attend. I won't be home until very late. Please don't wait up. The table froze, with only John Allen still chewing his meat. Who is the student? he said. Eddie replied, Robert Stanner. His father's a judge on the hill. Mm, aye. Good family. Very wealthy. Will you be joining us for dinner, Eddie? Oh, of course, Aunt Nancy. I won't leave until sundown. <sighs> oh, Eddie, Francis sounded concerned. I don't know. School at night? Let the boy go, Fanny, interjected John. "'Tis important, and we've got to be getting our tuition's worth." The rest of the meal carried on in silence. Not a soul noticed the satisfactory smile that crossed Eddie's lips. All his questions about curses, folklore, and magic were only an evening away. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.